Oh, happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to wear my red outfit just to impress you, but I decided not to. It was adorable. Uh, I just saved you. But um, Okay, so Valentine's Day begs the question, are you a lover or are you a fighter? Come on, answer that. We got some both over here. Both. I like that. You don't have to just be a fighter, do you? And you don't just have to be a lover. Sometimes you fight for love, right? We can go nuts on this whole thing. I'm not going to. That's not the object. Uh, but I do want you to think about those, those places where many times we do say, I'm this or I'm that. And uh, especially people who like to keep things nice and neat, and we like to have labels for everything. We're very organized people. And uh, so sometimes we would like to go, this is this in this person, this is this in this person. And, and labels make it easier to relate, uh, to identify but let's talk about Jesus today. And uh, we could say lover or fighter. We could say man or God. I think that there's a lot of people in our city that would say great man. Great teacher man. Maybe a lot less in this city since there's a... They, I've seen different statistics from 11% to 17% of people that would say, Jesus is God. The overwhelming majority of people would say, not God. Great teacher, as I've studied him, I love his teachings. They're very truthful and challenging. They're confusing at times. Um, in fact, they're, they're so confusing that they seem so pure and wonderful that when I see people who, who follow these teachings, I get confused because uh, the people who, who say he's a teacher sometimes seem to be more at peace. They're less in conflict. And so uh, sometimes there's a tension that goes with being... Uh, not only talking about Jesus as man or God, but following Jesus and understanding and being a follower, there's a tension that goes with being fully God and fully man. That's, that's hard for us to wrap our heads around in who Jesus is. And so today, the Scriptures hopefully will speak very clearly to the story of God on a throne leaving the splendor and the glory of the heavens to be born of a virgin wrapped in flesh. God wrapped in flesh coming to rescue, to save us. And so, of course, that transformation it takes for Jesus Christ, Creator of the universe, supreme. Colossians says, firstborn. This, this place of prominence that when Jesus leaves that and comes into our midst as Emmanuel, God with us, that's a transformational process that we're going to look at today. That's heavy. That's, that's big. 
This one scares me, okay? Just going to let you know right now. Let's turn our uh, Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Let's talk about this process where light comes into darkness. Let's stand as we read God's Word. As we're in Philippians 2. And... uh, We went through verse 1 through 4, which Paul is setting up with the people of Philippians, um, speaking of we should live among each other, and he's starting out saying, humility for you, humility, and his, his goal here is that we would be so unified that we would be a fellowship of joy, and now he said, here's humility for you ways that you should live and live in the comfort of that love and of same mind and of same love. And we discussed that a little bit last week. And now he's going to say, here is the model. Here is the example. Here is what humility looks like through Jesus Christ. And so we're in uh, verse 5 of chapter 2 of Philippians. He says this, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You may be seated. The year that this is written is about A.D. 63, and Paul is speaking again, just to, to reconstitute what's going on, is he's speaking to this church. So I want to remind you, too, whenever you're reading this book, when you see you, a lot of the times, the ancient language comes back to where he's actually saying y'all. So we say you, and we're like, hey, I'm not from, well, some of us are from Alabama. But, um, so... He has a head start, okay? The Duncans have a head start. Um, The idea here is that he's speaking to this church. What he's doing is he's saying, whenever things get fragmented, we've, we've seen through the beginning of this book, and if you've read it all the way through, you'll see there's an overview where he loves this church. He's very pleased with them. He finds great joy in the way that they're living and expressing the gospel, and the way they live in the great paradox, like they're supposed to be poor, but they're so generous in their giving, and the way that they invest in, in each other and, and, and look after him. They hold him in high esteem and they, they love what he has given them, the gospel. And so they've sent um, their friend Epaphrates or whatever his name is, Ephrodites or something like that. I just called him Big E, remember? Because I always mess up his name. But he, they sent somebody from among themselves to go, Paul is in jail. And so they take good care and, and he's a focus of theirs. And so there's this mutual love. Remember he said, same love. When I love you to this measure, you love back to this measure. And we have this same mind where we're all, we're marching along. We're standing and we're striving. Remember he's already said that too. We stand and we strive together and we advance the gospel together. And so these are people that get the story of who Jesus is. But for realignment, what he's doing is anytime we get ourselves out of alignment where we forget the life that we're living, 
as we're moving forward, living in, and we've heard this as well, right? Living in a manner worthy of the gospel, we get out of whack. In our brokenness, we go astray. We, we, we pervert the path. We have perversions in our mind. We have a broken grid system. And so whenever that happens, Paul, through the epistles, the scriptures, bring us back into a righteousness. It brings us back. You know the best way to fix things that are broken? The best cast, the best spiritual cast if something was broken or crooked is to talk about Jesus. Is to get back to focusing on Jesus. And you'll notice in these few verses that, that we read, the very end is he says this, when things and attitudes get disunified, as they were uh, under siege in the Philippians, as we are under siege at times because of our humanity, our pride we talked about last week, our lack of humility. When selfishness gets in the way of community, he says, focus on the cross. That's our focus point. When everything else around us, the circumstances of life, the things that we seem to be getting, the things that we're investing in, the things we think are moving us. He says, none of that matters except for the cross. If you can get back to the cross, the centrality of the gospel, of God's story through Jesus Christ, if you can get back there, that's your anchor. There is a way for your peace not to get hijacked. There is a way for you to have sanity and solitude. It is in Christ. When your attitude, and, and you know when you spiral out and you, you start to get beyond temptation and you're in sin or others are sinning against you, he says, the way back is seeing the story of Jesus. Today's scriptures are unbelievable. It's why we need the Lord so that we can have belief. The story is incredible. It's astounding. It's hard for us to believe in our flesh what God has done for us. Just this the summary, did you get that? When we were reading this, this is just some of the summary is form of God. The role and lifestyle of God Jesus has. In fact, in verse 5, he's, he's basically saying, think a long time about this. In fact, let's look at verse 5. He says, have this in mind. Have this in mind. Think this through. Have this in your mind when attitudes or circumstances are pulling you away from the life that we have in Jesus Christ. Have this in mind. Meditate on this Scripture. Meditate on this thought. In fact, some think that this was such a popular phraseology that this was um, like a hymn, like a, a poem that people would remember and recite the way we have the Nicene or the Apostles' Creed where people would say, this is what I believe. Let's get back to, to the nuts and bolts of what we believe. And so that, this is that Scripture. 
And as he clarifies the Christology and he encourages them to be humble and to have unity as the Scripture challenges us in light of Christ's humility to evaluate our own servant status. That's what's going to happen today. We're going to see that the form of God Jesus Christ held, the lifestyle that he had as he came and wrapped himself in flesh, we're going to see that he went from form of God to form of servant. And, and many argue that the language should be slave. Form of slave. And the humility that that takes as you think of God coming to earth, taking on the form of slave. And, and what, what, what is the process of that transformation? Because we know that while we are not to aspire to have form of God or goddess, we do know that we are to be, uh, through sanctification, and he's going to hit this a little later, that we are going to be growing in our Christ-likeness. And so if we look at Christ as the model of humility, then we must look at the process that he took from entitlement and privilege, and rightly so, into form of servant. And though he's asking us to do the same. So today, there is a me, we. There's an evaluation that you can ask of yourself. And maybe you can write this down if you're a note taker. Is how am I doing as a humble servant? Jesus took humility, humbleness so seriously that he was humbled to death. So humble, he was humbled to the point of death, the scripture says. What in you needs to be humbled to death as we go into this scripture? Where do you need to be dismantled? Where do you need to take your privilege or your status or the resources or the things in which you think highly of yourself and where do those need to be shelved? Verse 5 says, think about this as he goes into this model. Is this your attitude? Is this a willingness? Are you willing to be less truly? Or are you fighting for your place? He's showing us that this is the descent of a leader. There's a very good book written out there called The Ascent of a Leader. But this scripture says the descent of a leader, the descent of true influence, contrary to the way that the world thinks, the one that would leave form of God and go into form of servant to change the world, where light would enter darkness for our sake. Light would enter darkness. Pure and holy would come into broken and sinful. It says this. Let's look at uh, verse 6 now. Verse 5 said, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, six says, Who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God. He took his God status and he emptied himself of that God card. What did he empty himself of? Jesus emptied himself of authority and attributes. All of the things that God is. He didn't leave his divine essence. He doesn't stop being God. He takes those privileges and he puts them aside. Do you know why? Why would Jesus do this? Because the Father has a sovereign plan. And he submits to that. He's not insecure. Jesus isn't going, well, do you have this covered, Father? Do you have this covered? Are you sure you want me to go and do this and sacrifice this way? This is a big deal. I'm putting the God card down. We're sure about that one? Is this going to turn out okay? Can we talk? Can we have another talk? Can we talk again, please? No, this shows that when he puts the God card down, he has faith in the sovereignty of the Father. This is a security that we get by having Jesus Christ as our Savior, as he indwells in us. We have this kind of security to go, I know you have a plan for me, Lord. I know that there is a plan of salvation that you've put in, that with Jesus himself would put form of God aside, empty himself of this God status, puts the God card down and enters the vulnerability of the flesh through a virgin birth and walks the planet as a homeless man, a not a popular city he was born in, a Nazarene, a very unpopular, marginalized people group and city where people say, what good comes out of there? God, from his throne, where he's being worshipped by the angels day and night, he leaves that status to come and be with us. To rescue us. Why? Because this is the Father's plan on reconciling His orphans, His sons and daughters who are lost, who are dwelling in that darkness. And Jesus becomes a beacon of light. Think about this. Jesus steps off the throne. And enters pure darkness. we turned all the lights down and taped off all the windows and made sure no light could come in here to get the visual and to the point where you couldn't see your hand in front of your face and we lit one flame there is one light through the existence of this planet that Jesus came as a beacon of light a pinhole of light to eternity That's what's taking place here. For you. All this is taking place because God loves you. Jesus lays it all aside, empties Himself for you. God becomes man, places his trust in the sovereignty of the Father, and then dies for us.
Can't get a more dramatic story than that. Can't hear a more heroic story than somebody coming and diving from heaven into the murky waters of creation, of Creator humbling Himself to the point where He would become the created and indwell within a human body, having a human mind, having a human heart, experiencing human emotions for us. So that we would trust. We have trust problems. We have daddy issues. When we're separated from our Father, it creates havoc. When we're not in connection and recognition of who our Father is, our real Father, we hurt. And so Jesus came so that we would trust again. We see the trust that He has in the Sovereign Father. And bids us to trust in this way. He's not grasping. Look at the second part of uh, verse 6. Did not, equ- did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's surrendering His glory. He's not, there's no picture in Jesus, is there? Search the Scriptures of entitlement, of position, showing off. He allows nothing to interfere with the picture that God has for us. This is hard for us to understand because we grasp onto onto temporary titles. Some of us live through our business cards, through our professions, through the family we were born in, how much money is in our bank account. We live in temporary. Jesus shatters all of that, saying, being very clearly, especially through living as a, a homeless man, having no home ownership, not owning the things of this world. He shows us very clearly that what we have is temporary. He shows us a much greater value in the Father's plan by, by not becoming of the world. Jesus isn't known as a human governmental leader Instead, it says that He humbled Himself. Humbled Himself. Can you think of ways that Jesus would humble Himself? Humbling Himself. Even if you read the Scriptures, you see He humbled Himself to His parents. Imagine, if, if you will, that He's humbling Himself to His father Joseph, who's a carpenter, and He says, hey Jesus, Jesus 13, 14, let's make a table for Mary. It's Valentine's Day. It's not Valentine's Day. Hallmark hadn't invented that yet. (laughs) Let's make a table. Have you ever created something before, Jesus? Oh, that's right. The universe. (laughs) And the, the trees that we're cutting up here, you made those before you showed up. Humbling himself to those parents. Humbling himself to civil magistrates, to people that are unjust and corrupt. Humbling himself to the government. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Humbling himself to authorities in which he is greater than. 
That's emptying yourself. That's subjecting yourself and being obedient in your humility. Laying the God card aside. In Matthew 6.16, we don't have to, to go there. Actually, why not? It'll be fun. Matthew 6.16, so we see the humility of God, but we see that That Jesus isn't faking the humility. We see that he, he also charges us not to fake humility when he says this in Matthew 6. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who has who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then he goes on into eternal things. We act this way. We live according to the Gospel because of eternity, because of eternal value, because of our place in that family. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where Thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. We see that spiritual stature is not external. We're not to fake or to even create in our sin, in our selfishness, in our idolatry of self. We're not to create external ways to even look greater. He's saying you're secure to know that your rewards are seen in secret. That when you live your life of true humility, you don't let people know about it. You don't act as though you're more humble than another. He says that's hypocritical. This isn't what we're talking about. So Jesus, you'll see throughout His whole ministry, is under the radar. He's not full of hype. He's not pr And sometimes we want to, maybe we'll hear attacks against Jesus and we'll want to protect His divinity. Jesus is secure in the Father's plan. Are you secure in your identity? Or is it being lived through your, the title on your card through the bank statement that comes. How are we living outside of the Gospel? And if so, would we be willing to set aside those things for the plan that God has? It says this in verse 7. Verse 7 says, It wasn't a thing to be grasped, and He made Himself Nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He erased himself. He became nothing, self-effacing. You can see in Isaiah 53 that there was nothing to his looks. There was no way to be attracted to him. We talked about him coming as a Nazarene, living in a poor economic status. He came in the form of a slave. And so, 
That's weird for us to go, there's contrast in that. You're God, and you can hear his disciples having this tension as they follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, the truth is that sometimes we're like, can you show up a little more powerfully? Is there a little zing you can put on this life and just be good? It'd be really great and very satisfying. Instead, he comes in, and have you seen that show? Uh, I guess it's getting really popular. I've watched it a couple times, Undercover Boss. The show Undercover Boss, I think, is ABC or something. And the whole premise is that the CEO goes to an entry-level job. It's kind of like um, Donald Trump meets um, that Discovery Channel, uh, The Dirtiest Jobs, with Mike Rowe, right? The guy who goes and, and cleans up chicken turds and puts his hands in uh, places and cows that you wouldn't want to put your hands in with big rubber gloves. And he goes into uh, fish recycling places in Warrington and out in uh, uh, Arizona. He goes to this place where there's 40 million bats. It stinks that bad. And, and somebody's got the job of like managing 40 million bats. I don't even know. Uh, I didn't see that episode. I just read that one, okay? Um, but the idea here is that there's dirty jobs, and uh, between these shows, it's outrageous that a CEO would do an entry-level job. And it, what's the big heartstring is that the CEO would begin to understand where the frontline employees actually are in their morale and what they see and the way that they live. And that's an understatement as to what's happening here. It's not God the CEO came down and put on a Burger King cap and ran the drive through for us. The great tension is that God set aside everything and emptied Himself to become not a drive through guy, not a guy who cleans up the waste management treatment in San Francisco, not a guy who cleans up animal things, being really clean, on farms. It's that God came from heaven and took on sinful nature. Not only was He the pinhole of light amidst all of the darkness, but He took on all of the brokenness and the sin, all that nature that created the separation from us and God the Father. There's no dirtier job. There's no more undercover job than that. And we don't grasp that. Truly, I need to ask you, do you find yourself grasping? He found it something he would not grasp to. But I think in our ego, in our self-idolatry, we say, a job promotion? I automatically take it without thinking. More money? Of course. I'd love to have more money. That'll put me in greater control. See, the premise here is that Jesus' humility creates a healthy view of our brokenness. When we travel from, to see where Jesus we see that he can understand and accept the brokenness that exists. He's not, not grasping the God formation. He's 
okay in what God has as his plan, and he's taking that all on. He's not grasping once again. There's another TV show. I'm sorry, reality shows get my mind going. There was another one. It was a weak show, but it was all these celebrities that got, got dropped into the jungle, and when they couldn't take it anymore in their prima donna entitlement privileged life, even though they were C-class stars and had really not contributed a ton to the entertainment industry, I'm sorry if you're related to one of these people, uh, and I'm categorizing them, that's really wonderful of me, it's contradictive to this message, but as I'm judging them in front of you, um, they would have this trigger they could pull that would say, get me out of here, I'm a celebrity, and that was the name of the show. Do you notice that Jesus never does that? He says, not something to be grasped, but humbled to the point of death. And never does he say, get me out of here. I'm a celebrity. I'm God. Who are we kidding here? We go, there's tension. We live our lives trying to make more of ourselves. We live our lives trying to be self-empowered and self-titled. We want to think very highly of ourselves. There is a deep tension with what Jesus is calling us into to say, take the form of servant. Put your gold card status down. Take your titles and the things that you think you are that are made of man and put them aside. Put those privileges. And even when God gives you stature, when it's God-given stature, whether it's a role like husband or father, Put those aside. Would you be willing to put those sides and those privileges and those, that role and that form aside so that others would be served? Who do you need to be serving in this way? Who do you need to shed yourself for? We prefer control over obedience. We live justifying why we can do what we do and why we can accept false forms of power, false forms of influence, false forms of comfort in our lives. We make it okay, and we, we actually live in a grid system here in America that makes it very easy to accept privilege as a way of life. Entitlement. We're entitled to certain things. We think highly of ourselves. I'll make an offer here. I can do this for the church. I can do this for the church. I can do these things. But instead, God says, can you come in a form of a humble servant? Well, I can play guitar better than that guy. I can preach better than that guy. I can set up chairs better than that person. I can clean these bathrooms a lot better than the way they're getting clean. And these guys miss lyrics all the time, and it seems like there's technology problems. I can do all of these things. I'm this. I can get her done. And God says, getting it done with me is humbling yourself to the point where you die to self so that others may gain. Can you be a humble servant? He shows us this picture because we have a unity problem. We are diseased and riddled with not accepting each other. 
We want to think, oh, I'm more smart than you. I have better theology than you. Or I know more about finances than you. I know more about this. I'm this. Did you not know that I'm a doctor? I'm a lawyer. Do you know what neighborhood I live in? And the gate that you can't even get into my neighborhood. Do you understand the privileges that I have? I'm an American. Are you a servant? Are you a servant to the point where people are unified? Are you a servant to the point where you're not self-gratified, but God is glorified? Are we living our lives together in a way that creates peace? Or is there a hostility to the way that even Jesus lived? Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this. First of all, the end of 6, it says, A thing to be grasped, that equality with God. 7, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He has perfect humanity. Jesus is living perfectly as a spirit-filled human being. He is sinless. But humanity, how does God remind us that God became man is, is the picture that he took the form of man, the form of servant, the form of slave, that he took this position of humility. If you look at the word humility or human, they come from same root words. H-U-M-U-S. Humus. Right? We also have humor coming from there. It's the place that we talked about earlier, maybe even in Psalm 4, as, as we came and we said, there's this horizontal position of being humbled. And when you are humbled and you are in this position, you are closest to the earth. If I was to go outside and just lay on the earth, it would be a very close position word-wise and symbolically to who we are, and even physically, right, and scientifically, by our composition of who we are. It means, Adam means red dirt. From there we get human, humankind, where we get humility. So we see that we came from dirt. We were made from dust, and to dust we return. And in this humility, Jesus takes on that form. The one who created that dirt, that land. He comes and is a part of our whole existence here. Every once in a while, I've told this story years ago, if my children are acting out of hand, two of them recalled this yesterday. They said, oh yeah, I remember when you used to do that. I haven't done it in a while. But when my kids, if they're acting cocky and they're bugging each other, there's seven of them, so that happens. Sometimes I'm even in the mix, acting cocky and bugging each other and teasing or goofing off. Every once in a while, when one of my children lifts their head up and they're doing this kind of thing to another person, they're spouting out words and they're trying to build up themselves in a really gross way, right? And they're tearing the other person down. I'll say, just stop. I used to say this when they were really little. I'd go, calming down. 
This is like, let's lower self right now. And then the little one would make fun of me. He'd go, Dad says, calming down. Calming down? And I'm like, yes, calming down. To the point where sometimes I've said, will you please, I want you to lay on the ground. I want your head down on the ground. Will you close your eyes? Will you just lay there? I think that this scripture speaks of humility in that way. I think when he says, I want you to really think about this in verse 5. Remember? Verse 5, he says, have this in a mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, very safe, very secure. This is what we have in Christ Jesus. Have this in mind. Would you take this in mind and listen to this story of humility? Will you take this in mind, the process in which God came to retrieve you, grasping nothing, not saying I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, fulfilling his mission totally out of the love that the Father has for you? Would you lay yourself down? Would you close your eyes? Would you not consider yourself? Would you have this among yourselves? Think about this, meditate on this. Wouldn't that be super bizarre if all of a sudden you walked into the office building and said, hey, Rod, Raj is on the ground, just humbling himself. What if there was a craze of people actually exercising humility? Wouldn't that be amazing? That's what is amazing, and that's the standard that has been set for us, is for us to see that humility. Wouldn't it be amazing if actually there was a point in which our hearts would say, I'm nothing before you, God. I have a correct recognition of you, and because your light has shined on me and I understand the state that I'm in, I woe is me, and that I would lay flat before you in worship, as they are probably, <laughs> not probably, as they are day and night worshiping you. Let me read to you this quote. C.J. Mahaney, he wrote a little book called Humility. And it says this, humility is honest assessment in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. You're going to have a hard time ever understanding how healthy of a position humility is of realizing your brokenness if you do not think that you are sinning. If you are not aware of your sin. See, that's the amazing part is that is what usually causes us to stop and listen and, you know, figuratively put ourselves flat on the earth. Sometimes we feel like we got kicked there or oppressed to that point. But nonetheless, however you get to that point where you realize that you need Jesus, the Savior that came after you, you first must realize before you have health of human of, of of humility, the health of humanity, or lack thereof, that we have sin. What is the barrier for you? I want you to write this question down. What is the barrier to your spiritual growth? 
And what he is saying is it's hard work. The barrier is things in you must die. They must be eliminated. And they can be forgiven. But it's hard work to go through this process of of saying, I'm going to take the control card back to my life. I'm going to take the privileges. I'm going to take my free will. That's a right I've got. Even God gave it to me. I'm going to take my free will and I'm going to execute these things how I want. And God says, Here's, the key. Here's another key. Obedience. Jesus had obedience to the point of death. Will you have obedience to the point where you may even think it's harming you, but God has an operational process where He's opening you, where He's pulling pieces away to get back to, get to you to do heart surgery. But sometimes through obedience we say, why are you torturing us? Why is this so annoying? Why does it seem like you always wait until the last moment, God? And we see the story of Jesus who through obedience let the whole course run. Let God's course run in your life. And if God's asking you to die to self, allow that to happen. Our pride is the barrier to our spiritual growth. And how is God, through this words that Paul wrote to the Philippians and to us, asking us how to live in fellowship with himself and with one another? With humility. I'll take you to one more story. Go to John 9 with me. As you're turning there, I want you to see that God reminds us of our darkness and via humility He brings healing to us. Humility is the root through Christ to our healing. It is the attitude trigger. And so this is why this is so important this morning for us to see that true health comes through humility. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. This is chapter 9 of the book of John, verse 1. As he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Sometimes we wonder, why do I have to go through these forms of ailment or this blindness? Or why is there a thorn in my side? Why are there things that I'm having to go through? And we talked a little bit that suffering is also the delivery system towards joy. And so we see that God has this process, right? And He says this. He says, and this process is that, that God is at work, right? We talk about God has predestined the work of of Jesus to come do this. God has predestined this work that's happened in you. And he says this in verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Right? We discussed that beacon of light. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Mud, earth, humus, humility, right? He made humility in so many words. I don't want to get crazy here. I'm not going to twist this, but 
made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Let's look at our last verse. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. You hear that man? He saying, in order to be healed, in order to see that man humbled himself and he obeyed when he said, go down and wash your eyes, right? He obeyed when he stood there and he allowed humility that he, when he allowed God to spit and put that mud on his eyes. There's a submission that needs to happen for us. Why was Christ sent? Why is there this mission, this submission? Is because God wants to heal our brokenness. He wants to transform our whole life And he wants to redeem us for the Father. How can we have this humility? If you're lacking humility, we must focus on the cross. We must see that Jesus died a death on the cross, a humble death. This was a death that was normally reserved for non-Romans, for criminals, This was a death that was hard for the Jewish people of that day to wrap their heads around to say, if this is the Messiah, then he's been hanging on this tree through the night, which was the no-no. And that there's a defilement in this body when we put it into the dirt. They had a hard time realizing and seeing that a Messiah would die this way, that he would live that way without privilege and entitlement and without power and and coup happening over the Roman government. They saw things in a limited view. It was a humility they were not willing to accept, and so they didn't hear the Word of God. Therefore, when they didn't hear the words that God was speaking, that Jesus was speaking, they did not obey. And they missed and if the, the, the blind man in John 9, if we saw that he didn't listen and obey, he would not be healed. He would not be able to see. And so today, when we come to this point, we have to ask ourselves, are you obeying God? Are you allowing God to, to have less of you so that more of Him can show up? Are you allowing and listening to God to humble you so that you can see what He has for you? Or are you sitting saying, I refuse to get rid of my status and my empowerment and my control, but God is creating this tension where I think He wants me to release my hands from these things so that I can be healed. But I'm not willing to be humble to call Him God in this respect. I want to be God of this area of my life, of this situation. I think I'm going to figure it out before others find out 
and I'd like to figure it out and fix it so I don't feel shame or ashamed. I don't want people to know what's going on in my darkness. Well, then we are, reali- we are missing the whole point of God's rescue that He's come to come into your darkness. It is not a ring that somebody is searching for. It is your life that He has searched and sought and found. It is that God that has sent His Son sovereignly within a plan that we can trust because the Son trusted that. That He died for us a humble death. Not just any death, a selfless death. A death He didn't deserve. It's not like He was a chronic smoker and it's like, oh yeah, I hear Jesus has lung cancer. I guess He deserves to die because He was just full of Himself. Or He's got liver failure because He's a drunk. Or that, you know, He just did some real foolish things and the mafia came after Him. No, sinless not dying because he had to or he did anything to subject himself to what seemed mortal. He died taking on our sins. But here's the trick. He never ceased to exist. And either will you. And so when we live and we say, will I live in this form of high and mighty or will I humble myself before my King and my God and I will humble myself to the manner in which is worthy of which He's called me and which He sent His Son, will I allow my life to be less so that I can serve others in His name and for His glory? Can I follow this model of humility We cannot. We cannot get up and decide, I'm going to be one humble person today. We do not have the power. We are clutching the ideas that we like about ourselves. We do not have the power to go, less of me, let me die to myself. As compelling as the story is that Jesus, who in perfection did that for us and took on sinful nature, that's wonderful. But the truth is is that we can't get up and pull our bootstraps on and go, I'm going to go live onward, Christian soldier, and I'm going to make this happen. We must be humble enough to know that we bring nothing to this game. It should be much easier for us to go, I'll make nothing of myself because I am nothing without all of the richness and the blessings of which you gave me. Guess what? We're at that point again in the sermon. I need you, Jesus. Every week, I realize I need you. Every minute, I need you. I have nothing to bring to this game. So the fact that you erased yourself and humbled yourself to the point of death, that's easy. I know that I'm erasable and have nothing. I know the fragility of my life. And that's why I'm in this frantic anxiety to make something of my life. To make some reputation of myself. And God says, be still and know that I'm God. I know this. I'm sorry that I, in, in my very fallible way, sometimes I yell too much in here. Sometimes Sean Garman will come out in a sermon. I am so sorry for that. I want to be a humble man before you. I don't want to get in the way of you seeing the majesty of God. We need to apologize to each other and say, I've stuck in the way. 
I have not been humble before you. You have not seen all there is of Christ in my life. I am so sorry. Can we be unified and reconciled because of the power of Jesus Christ? This is what his aim was. This is what the power of Jesus and the centrality of his death, his death on a cross, that which the lowest of lows suffered. He went to the lowest, murkiest mire. Think of the Columbia River, right? You go to the bottom, you lose something, that's really gnarly. He went to those places among creation where it's been decaying, right? Humus means decaying and that, that the plant life and that this world is decaying and dying. That's a humble position. Could we today come before our Lord and say, we are decaying and we are dying and we are broken? And can we come and to the realization that when we come and we say, we say those things and we say, this is my sin and my brokenness, this is, why, this is how I've made much ado about nothing. This is where I lied on my resume to make myself sound like I'm something more. This is where I said that experience and tried to make people think my experience was better than something they're having. This is when I put a Facebook status up and I tried to be cool. This is when I dressed a certain way and just tried to impress my girlfriend. This is when I did this. We come to God and say, humble me to the point of my death so that you may live and reign in my life. I'm a sinner, God. I want you to, to have this realization as well. You, your body may not cease to exist 70 years, 80 years, 100 years into this, but your spirit is. Where will your spirit exist? Furthermore, today, your spirit, if Jesus' spirit was an incarnation of perfected humanity, fully Holy Spirit driven, what is your incarnation? What is the statement of, of the incarnation of your spirit today? What is it representing? What does your spirit represent? Life? Therefore, no, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think somebody made this at Safeway. Maybe somebody made this at Safeway and wasn't even thinking about how it would be used today. Probably. Today, this was baked and brought here to be a symbol of meaning and purpose. To be a symbol of Something that the, the one who was humbled to death endured to rescue you. Do you know that this piece of bread is a symbol of God's predestined work 
that He had through His Son to reach you. To heal you of brokenness. To reconcile you to whole life. And to redeem you. This is the predestined work of God that He sent His Son. That He loved the world. That God so loved the world that He sent His only Son that whosoever believes will not perish. You will not perish. But what he's speaking of is, will you perish and be separated from God? And if you believe in eternal things and you believe that Jesus, God, was wrapped in the form of flesh and came here to bring this message, are you separated from God in any way now? And your sin can guarantee you of that. So let the light the beacon of light, come into the forms of darkness in which you've lived this week. Let the incarnation of the Spirit that you have and the way it's manifesting itself through your behaviors and sometimes our lack of unity, let God heal that. And we do that when we break this bread and we say, you and your body was broken, showing us that these bodies and this time here is temporary, isn't it? And Jesus, the things that I've done on this planet, I need forgiveness. And God said, my son shed his blood. I found pleasure in his crushing so that he would be the atonement for your sins. That he would endure the wrath through his humble death, not just any death, death on a cross. Will you stand? As the musicians come up, as we meditate on this, I know it's a very heavy message. There's, it, we could go for many hours. But I would ask that God, You would multiply the seed, the Gospel, the Word, into the soil of our hearts, that there would be a great produce that would come from today, that we would subject ourselves to Your authority, that we would want to be obedient, that You would change our form from ego and idolatry and control to people that are obedient and not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to, that we would consider the significance and the life plan of another, that we would invest ourselves in our neighbors, that we would not classify believer and unbeliever, but we would live in this way, in the margins and in the populace and in the cities and in the, the rural areas and in our relationships that are tension-filled and some that have great chemistry, those that are in and out of same mindset and same love, would You let us travel as we follow You, Jesus? We know that You go to the margins. We know that You've gone to the darkness. Therefore, we should be following You to the darkness. That we would be the light. That we would be transformed servants. That we would not think highly of ourselves. Lord, woe is us. Let us return to humility. Let us hear what You say when we are humble and meditative. That we would think on these ways and what Jesus Christ has done for us. We look so forward. I look forward to next week when we see the exaltation of Jesus. Today we see and there is a, a spirit on us that is heavy. There's a, a, 
uh, brevity, Lord. There is a weight of this today. Let us understand and walk in that, Lord, that you've clothed us in salvation, but there is a weight to that clothing. There is a king that forfeited his riches so that we who are poor can return to a rich relationship with the king at a banquet table in heaven, united, married up again to our God. And so, Lord, I thank You for these Scriptures. I thank You that they are cutting to the heart. Holy Spirit, we believe that You are amidst and and willing to fill us up, overflowing us, so that we can hear those things that Paul says, make my joy complete. That there would be an abounding joy and love Lord, let us see these ways, but let us be sacrificed. Let us push forward whatever we've been grasping, whatever we've been holding on to. Let us shed ourselves in exhaustion to say we need life and we need You. And when we come to the communion table and we pull a piece of bread symbolizing Your brokenness for us that You endured all of humanity has to offer, making yourself nothing, erasing, self-effacing, and us dipping that into the precious blood of the cross. That the, the, the Scriptures say the ministry of reconciliation is through the shed blood of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, thank You for enduring the cross for us. We love You and we treasure You. You are worthy, Lord. Please take our offerings and take our times of confession. And Lord, let us not in false humility fall on our face. Let us fall down with the ground knowing that You are Creator that became created and dwelt among us. We love You so very much. We thank You for this time, Lord. In Christ's name, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at